<laughs> well, people, there's going to be a conspiracy now. I'm only welcoming people who agree with me about Andre Drummond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did not that did not go the way that I think they planned. <laughs> always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. Still weird. Uh, I am joined today. Fun episode ahead, uh, and and we're going to start it right off the bat with a laugh, I think. But joining me today is Howard Beck, senior writer at Sports Illustrated. He co-hosts the Crossover Pod with Chris Mannix uh, and and has did the Locked on Lakers show, did it again, the I think the the day or the week after I left Locked On Lakers there, so uh, I, I said I said to myself, "Look, I he can't miss me by that little, and then not come on my show again." And then he was nice enough to uh, to to grace the show here with me today. Thanks very much for hopping on. No, of of course. Um, yeah, it was a strange bit of timing, and I thought, <laughs> what better way to commemorate Anthony leaving the show than to do the show <laughs> after he's gone? Just like it's just slap upside the head, just like. <laughs> You know what? Kamenetsky's jump in. It's mm-hmm. it's seamless. It's like we didn't even miss you. Um, yeah, I felt <laughs> it. I felt it like 2000 miles away. It was just bang. Oh, OK. All right. There we go. <laughs> no, it was it, it's funny, too, because um, I've known the Kamenetsky's for a long time and I don't think I'd ever done any shows with them, maybe radio at some point. And so yeah. uh, I was really actually thrilled to get a chance to, to chat with them for a while. It was really good. But um, but yeah, it was it was weird because it was right around that same time somebody had reached out and said, "Hey, the Lockdown Lakers show." And I'm like, "Wait, Anthony just left it, so is it going to be the?" I was I was always all very mm-hmm. confused. But congrats on the on the new show, and, and uh, glad we could uh, connect again. I'm I'm really excited for for all of this. All right, we got to start here. Uh, this is this is uh, where I'm going to eat a nice healthy serving of crow. When you and I last talked, <laughs> I said that uh, this was the most talented Lakers roster of my lifetime. Uh, you pushed back on it and are looking really good in retrospect. Uh, do you do you want to just like laugh for the next couple of minutes, or 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 are you gonna let <laughs> or are you gonna let me um, explain explain myself uh, and and try to make it less ridiculous? I mean, I I appreciate the humility in you just bringing it up on your own mm-hmm. um, because honestly, like. I, I, my, my brain has the capacity of like a thimble. And so like I, I stop, I, I do a podcast, my own, somebody else's whatever. And I immediately mm-hmm. forget everything we talked about. So yep. I would not have remembered, but yes, when you brought it up, uh, when you were reaching out again, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. We had this whole thing about, is this the most talented Laker roster of your lifetime? And I'm like, well, hold on. I got to at least hold up some of those teams that I covered of the Shaq and Kobe era. So I would, right. we're doing like point by point, Brian Shaw versus Dennis Schroeder or whatever. However, it broke down. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. And I think, yes, I was leaning toward my personal bias of the yep. teams that I had covered back then. And the fact that, of course, while individual talent of those guys might not have been at the level of some of the individual talent the current Lakers had, um, there had to be deference to the way they played their roles to the hilt around Shaq yes. and Kobe. And the fact that obviously they won three straight championships and all that. Um, <laughs> Just add that at the very end there. 
you know, yeah, the, I mean, the, the thing minor, that nobody has been able to do since. <laughs> I think if I recall correctly, Anthony, I think I at least said when you and I last uh, chatted for that pod. Um, but hey, you know, if, if these guys go and they win another one or whatever, like, you know, we, like we have to mm-hmm. see in the postseason, right? Especially with the guys that were added onto the Laker roster um, for this past season. So we hadn't seen Dennis Schroeder pursue a championship yet or Montrezl mm-hmm. Harrell pursue a championship yet with this team. And so the, the, the possibility of them achieving those heights and then having, a, you know, a, a sincere, you know, uh, debate or position themselves to be uh, debated against Ron Harper, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, Robert, or, you know, just playoff legends. Um, it was, it was on the table. Now it's off the table. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very much off the table. It would help. <laughs> it would help if, you know, Trez, or Schroeder did literally anything in the postseason, but but, but Schroeder might have like, had a couple of his played? worst games of his life. Yeah, and Trent couldn't get off the bench unless it was a thirty-point blowout. So, so yeah, I'll take my L on this one. But I, I it's kind of semantics. I said that most talented, without seeing how they accept their roles, and and it turns out that it's that's the biggest, I would say, biggest non-tangible factor in success or failure of a team is the acceptance of roles by those role players. The stars are going to be stars, right? The stars, yes. you know, in this case, they were less so because Anthony Davis, LeBron James were both banged up. But, but if, if that is equal, if the stars are healthy, the stars are going to be stars. It's just a matter of can those role players either allow themselves to be lifted by the stars or in the best case scenario, actually make the stars a somewhat better version of themselves by spacing the floor, playing defense the right way and abiding team principles. And I think, I think, you know, I said it on uh, the lowdown yesterday that I, I, I think the, the key difference between this year's Lakers team and last year's Lakers team minus the health is that last year's role players, Dwight Howard was benched a series, came right back and competed against Nikola Jokic. Right. And, and uh, Markeith Morris went, got benched against the uh, against the Nuggets, but was ready to go whenever they needed him against Houston. And then in the final game of the season, game six against the Heat, Rajon Rondo not in the starting lineup. You insert Alex Caruso. You start Anthony Davis at the five, and they they wind up. It was a three hour celebration of a, of a team winning a championship. And and I think what I'm always going to look back on with this with this Lakers team is the lack thereof when it comes to the sacrifice. Andre Drummond comes and reportedly had to be promised a starting spot and starting minutes to be able to, uh, to, to want to come to the Lakers. Montrose Harrell was upset and, uh, you know, spent some time subtweeting the Lakers whenever he was out of the rotation. Same goes for Dennis Schroeder and took out the Lakers from his, from his social media account, you know, and, and we just didn't see that stuff from the Lakers last year. And what was funny was that the team, the guys who actually did succeed in winning a championship, those guys were fine with sacrificing a little bit more. So I'm kind of curious from where you were sitting, because you, you, you are on the East Coast now and you, you cover the league on a more kind of national level. Was there any discussion league-wide about, I don't want to call, I guess we could call it this year a failure just because they, they fell well short of expectations, but the way that the Lakers kind of just trudged through this, through this season. And then you compare that to what the Nets are doing right now in the postseason. Is there, is there any sense around the league that like, Oh, okay. We're seeing a, a real changing of the guard here. It's a hard thing to gauge 
Um, everyone's going to have their own impression about it. And I also think that, you know, these things are, are colored by, you know, uh, you know, recency bias and, and, you know, being just kind of caught up in the moment. So let's roll back to um, what was it? The winter, like the off season supposed to be the summer, but we didn't have enough, a summer off season. So whatever the hell the last off season was. <laughs> right. Yeah. That like think two we, period. Yeah. So I think we all declared the big winners of the off season, the Lakers for taking a championship team and actually upgrading the supporting cast. That's what we believed mm-hmm. at the time. Everybody You're thought right. that mm-hmm. pundits, GMs, Scouts, everybody, like, I don't, I don't remember there being too many vocal dissenters about the premise that the Lakers had done a really nice job of upgrading in the wake of a championship and how mm-hmm. difficult that is to do. And that that was the right move. And you the other one, because you could say that, and then you could also push back on me going too far in that, the other direction, right? <laughs> you, yeah. you get to be right well, twice over. So you're welcome. Um, appreciate that no and then um and then the blazers were the other big winner right yeah oh look at the blazers they got covington and and uh derrick jones jr and um who else did they add you know they you know they they had supplemented their roster yeah so like but there were like three or four guys they got so the big winners of the offseason and then you know the suns just by getting chris paul right Mm -hmm. but the blazers and lakers got a lot of praise and they're both gone Mm -hmm. and um now on the Lakers side of it, let me address the, the big picture before I get back to the to the offseason and then that crew of players and whether they underachieved and all this. Everything is should be viewed through the prism of LeBron was hurt mm-hmm. for and out for a long time. He was not healthy in that playoff series. Anthony Davis was out for a long time. He was not hurt, healthy in that playoff series. And so it's easy at a time like now to go like, oh, my God, what the hell happened to Dennis Schroeder? And, oh, man, it was mm-hmm. a real mistake maybe to bring in Andre Drummond. And, um, you know, yes, there were everything that you said is absolutely like perfectly true and about the fragile nature of chemistry when Montrezl Harrell's not health- happy with his role and neither is Marcus Saul and neither is Andre Drummond. And Schroeder, you know, came in saying I'm a starter and all like it's easy now to look back at that and say, well, man, they really messed with the chemistry. But you know, winning papers over everything. And sometimes winning is not sometimes the winning and those kinds of issues are unrelated because those guys could have all still been griping, could have still been unhappy with roles Mm -hmm. and successful and successful (laughs) if Anthony Davis and LeBron are healthy because everybody's that much better then. And some of those things now it, it might still have other negative impacts on them. Maybe they're a little unhappier. Maybe they do cough up a win here or there. Maybe they still fall short, but they would have wanted a much higher level if the, if the obvious were true. If LeBron and Anthony Davis are just healthy, they're probably still playing right now. And, you know, we're having a much different discussion. But part of the bargain when you have an older LeBron James, part of the bargain when you uh, are very top heavy, which is not a critique, like most teams built around superstars become top heavy. It's really mm-hmm. hard to have a tier really close to the stars or the third star, or um, it, it just gets harder and harder every year. You're drafting low, you're, you know, or if you have draft picks at all, we're going to come back to that, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're capped out, you're in the tax. It's hard to do this year after year after year. And we've seen this. We saw it with that last Laker dynasty that I covered with Shaq and Kobe. The supporting cast got older. They didn't have cap room to, uh, to, to really add big pieces around the edges. 
Shaq's massive contract had been grandfathered in before there was such a thing as maxes and they were hamstrung and that Shaq and Kobe like wanting to, 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 you know, hit, you know, you know, beat the hell out of each other. Didn't help at the end that, 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 that pending divorce didn't help, but neither did the fact that the, that the supporting cast was starting to crumble the super team heat with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh by the end looked just broken and brittle. Mm-hmm. You know, Rashard Lewis and Shane Battier, and, you know, Ray Allen, whoever else was on that team, Dwayne Wade himself, it just looked like that team was spent and it was only four years. But again, very little room to add players, only, you know, mostly, uh, uh, you know, guys on minimum contracts, older players, guys chasing make rings. Shorter off seasons too, which is another, you yeah, know, Yeah, all of that. There's just this, yeah. You're fighting this war of attrition when you were an elite team year in and year out. And we saw even with the Warriors going five straight years, something we that's unheard of in the modern era. No one mm-hmm. been five straight finals. That hadn't happened mm-hmm. since the 60s. But there's attrition. It it just that's just the way these things go. Um, and on that note, so in the Lakers' defense, chemistry is really delicate. And as you and I are sitting here right now, we could have a really interesting discussion about would they have been better off keeping Danny Green? And not Dennis, not getting Dennis Schroeder. Would they have been better mm-hmm. off keeping Rajon Rado? Would they have been better off with another year of Dwight and JaVale instead of Montrez Harrell, Marcus Gasol, and Andre Drummond? Like, it kind of feels that way at the moment. Uh, yeah. But there's two ways to look at that. One is you win a championship, and if you keep it exactly the same, you don't have that same energy in the room. There really yeah. is something to the Bulls in the 90s having three completely different casts of characters around Michael and Scotty. And Phil Jackson would talk about it at the time, too, about needing to kind of replenish and have guys who haven't won at all and bring a new energy and a hunger, Um, Mm -hmm. not to mention guys getting old and all that stuff. And so in this case of this Lakers team, I think you could look at that either way. Well, if you bring it back pretty much the exact same crew, is was that chemistry? Was it lightning in a bottle? Does it does it extend to a second year? Uh, You know, if, if they had lost in the first round with that same cast as last year and lost in the first round. Uh, this year, we'd be saying, man, they need They should have gotten younger. They mm-hmm. should have brought in some new blood, some new energy. Um, man, they really could have used the Dennis Schroeder, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And the thing is like, that's defensible. Like, especially if you're if, like, if you knew in advance, LeBron's going to miss a month of the season, you'd be like, man, uh, better get a shot creator. Better get yeah. somebody who can do something with the ball in his hands, mm-hmm. which Dennis Schroeder can do. Didn't have the kind of season you hoped, but it's still, it still feels like that was the right move. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, you know, that we could start looking at it the other way, the inverse, but um, you know, Montrez Harrell and Marcus Saul, like, you know, Marcus Saul was already really, really old with a lot of miles when they got him. And so that was one where it was easy for us to all say, because we all love Marcus Saul and we all love the way he plays. You give him the benefit of the doubt, but I, I had some worry about that even at the time. And, and mm-hmm. Montrez Harrell, we knew what his shortcomings were, even with the Clippers. I did not necessarily like the drum and, signing um i'm not a big drumming guy this is why and, you're allowed on the podcast is 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 <laughs> well, people there's going to be a conspiracy now i'm only welcoming people who agree with me about andre drummond <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did not that did not go the way that i think they planned um so anyway i i just i think it's too easy to smack them and say that they made too many changes or that they made the wrong changes um but you know, maybe they should have made some and not others. And 
I don't know. Like, I think the two guys, if, if we're going to do re, like revisionist history and, and forget even what we, what we ourselves thought was good, bad, or otherwise six months ago, I think if nothing else, I think I would have held on to Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, it's kind of difficult with Rondo because he got a lot more money than I think the yeah, Lakers were that's anticipating. True. That's true. Maybe they couldn't have under any circumstances. I, I, I that's a, a fair point, but those but, are the two guys who felt like they maybe missed the most. Yeah, no, I, well, I, both those guys were pivotal, pivotal in, in the acceptance of their roles. I mean, Dwight, Dwight, I, and this is where I think to your point about lightning in a bottle, Dwight said after, uh, after the season last year, one of the first things he said was, I played basically for free this year. I would like to get paid. So like that's, that's somebody who's, who, who acknowledged where his career was at when the Lakers brought him in, what he needed to prove in order to stay in the league. And, and that kind of acceptance of a role is tough. It, it's, it's, it's not easy to do for a former superstar, like future Hall of Famer. I think yeah. uh, Rondo heard all year about how bad he was in the regular season. And, and man, he really better turn it on for playoff Rondo. And I think the Lakers, to a certain extent, were a little nervous about gambling on playoff Rondo being a thing, you know, the, 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 the dichotomy of, of what he is in the regular season versus the postseason. I think there was some concern there. And, and I think your, your biggest point that I agree with most is chemistry isn't infinite. It's a finite thing. It changes, it warps, it evolves. And the surroundings are what molds chemistry. And so you had a team team last year that, uh, LeBron was coming off of a, a year where he didn't make the playoffs and everybody was going to be hungry because of that. Anthony Davis was hearing about how immature and how poorly he handled his trade demand and the eventual trade. So he was, he was, I think a little bit more driven last year than he was this year. And, and, and then you go into this year, that team would have been, everybody in the room would have been exhausted from the, the year prior and the lack of an off season and it would have been really easy for that team if hypothetically they just brought everybody over together. It would have been really easy for them to just kind of say, you know what? It is what it is. And and we'll try again next year or something like that. Whereas this year, because you had that injection of youth and the injection of, of potentially more driven players because they didn't win a championship the year prior, you were thinking, well, if they did go through a trudge of this year, that maybe those guys can be the shot in the arm that that injects the energy necessary to, to lift yourselves back up to that point where you can compete despite the shorter off season. And, and I, I understand the thinking. I think the, the major what if is always going to be, well, what could you have gotten for that Danny Crean package? Could it have fit a little bit more naturally than Dennis Schroeder did with LeBron? Could, what, what could you have spent the, the MLE on, uh, that that actually plays in the postseason in ways that Montrez Harold didn't. Those are the those are the what ifs. But but there again, you're you have to limit yourself to the to to what was available at the time that they actually made these moves. And we just don't know right now. There, there's no way to know. Yeah. And you know, funny thing there too. I remember at the time thinking, oh wow, they stole Montrez Harold from the Clippers, right? That was one of the first big things to drop mm-hmm. uh, as free agency opened. And then the Clippers immediately grabbed Serge Ibaka. And I'm like, Clippers might have actually gotten the better end of this deal. Yeah. Um, now that was my that was my thinking that particular uh at that particular time. Um Ibaka, of course, has been really hurt himself. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine if if the Lakers had made that gambit 
and he has the same injury problems. And, and now we're sitting here going like, wow, the, you know, the, you know, Ibaka's got all those miles on him. He couldn't stay healthy. Oh, you know, they're shocker there. They should have gone younger. Montrose right. Harrell would have been a better fit, <laughs> you know? Um, and chemistry <laughs> right, yeah. is a really, really weird thing, right? Like it's the most indefinable thing. We all talk about it constantly. We all, we, we all know it's important. Teams know it's important. Players, coaches, uh, GMs, and none of us can define can, can, can really define it um, or, or predict what will make for good chemistry or bad chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, you, I mean, there are some things that are predictable. You know who the high character guys are. You know who are guys who have a reputation for being willing to sacrifice, who are good locker room guys, mm -hmm. who are great communicators as teammates, who are, who are you know, whatever, uh, just su supportive and, and, and kind of bring, bring the room together, right? You know, guys... Mm -hmm. Who, who, who serve as great glue guys, like those are definable things. Those are definable traits that you can say are good, make for good chemistry, no matter where that player goes. Mm -hmm. Their, their skill set fit is a different piece of the chemistry though. And so that's the part that's harder to figure out. And also sometimes you can get a bunch of guys together that seem like they fit and, and it doesn't work. And the next time you, you roll the dice on, on some weirdos and, and it just all fits together. Like it, it's really hard to predict. And so we can say here after the season, you know, and a, and a disappointing ending, chemistry didn't work. They had better chemistry last year. Maybe they should have stuck with it, but then there would be all the other caveats and, and the, the counterfactuals or potential counterfactuals. So um, in the end, it still comes down to this to me. Did they make some bad bets? Maybe. Did they have some bad fits? Probably. Is it all still different if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's not to say they would have, would have repeated as champions either. Everything breaks right for them health-wise. They still would have had a gauntlet to go through. And we, we see how tough all these teams are. Utah, Phoenix, Denver, the Clippers. Um, it still would have been a battle. And they still might have fallen short. They just wouldn't have lost in the first round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, so. I, think, I think those are those are two of the things that looking back on where I was heading into the season compared to where the season wound up. I think I didn't give enough credit to the other teams in the Western conference. I, I, I thought it would take an, another year for Phoenix to get to this level because they were so young. You, we don't see teams with players like Mikel Bridges, who's having the postseason that he's having right now. Like that, that usually happens a little later in his career. Uh, so I, I think I should have given more credit to Western conference teams. And then, and then uh, Maybe it was just blissful ignorance, but I I didn't think that the the injuries would pile up the way that they did with the Lakers this year. And 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 that's kind of what I wanted to get to next. The the NBA this year, and it's something that the the players union agreed to too. So this isn't like it, the the blame is all on Adam Silver here, but the NBA this year wanted to accomplish two goals that were always going to be really tough. They wanted to get a 72-game season in to abide the local contracts for, for uh, cable uh, deals. And they wanted to try to get as close to the normal, traditional NBA schedule uh, and reset to there as quickly as possible. And then there was the Olympics one. that I, That's the one where I don't really agree that there was, for some reason, a, a push to get everything wrapped up before the Olympics. And... And what it has meant is superstar after superstar after superstar 
uh, has gone down, right? Joel Embiid is playing, but he's banged up. And I'm sure every Philly fan out there is freaking out about the fact that this guy's playing on a partially torn, uh, I think it was like some kind of tendon in his meniscus. knee. Meniscus. Meniscus. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and you got, you have the Denver Nuggets are playing without Jamal Murray and we'll start next year without Jamal Murray. Anthony Davis says that he might've extended his uh, recovery time on his groin by a couple weeks uh, while somehow not making the injury worse. And then, and then you have uh, LeBron James who granted is 36 years old and most 36 year olds aren't playing much above the rim, but he was clearly a different player uh, in that Phoenix series than we had seen as early as the beginning of the season. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, given the way that the season has gone, given the results that we've seen with, with the number of, of players who are either banged up or not available, do you think, do you think if, the se- if the NBA and the players union had the season to do again, they would have prioritized those three factors I discussed at the beginning of this uh, the way that they did? So I think it was more about the, what was it? The, the number that went around 300 million. <laughs> yeah. That stake starting in January versus starting earlier in December. And so, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly the NBA prioritized and the players, as you rightly point out, because I hate when people do this. Oh, the Adam Silver or the league did this. The league did, no, no, no. All the stuff's collectively bargained. The union, yep. the players association leadership, which includes Chris Paul. Um, which has been weird because LeBron has like blasted like two or three things this season that were directly uh, proved by the players union of which his good buddy, Chris Paul is the president. Um, but the players union signed off on this. The players wanted to his, to his daughter and he's just out there throwing dirt. <laughs> like, whoever made these decisions on my behalf. Yes. I swear. <laughs> but, but um, everybody wanted that 300 million. The players and the and the, the the league. So, did everybody make a mistake? Yeah, I think so. Easy for me to say. It's not my three hundred million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's that pot is split 50-50 between the players and the owners. So, but yes, uh, I think the compressed season was problematic. Yes, I think uh, playing the finals in July is somewhat problematic. But you know, maybe there were there were you know. Maybe they would have been playing even later if we if they were trying to spread this thing out to, to not have such a compressed schedule. Um, you know, could they have waited till January? I think the quick turnaround was was really tough. I mean, listen, there's a lot of correlation here without knowing causation for sure, right? Mm-hmm. All the injuries you listed, were they because of the, of the compressed season? The league says that the average number of games per month was only barely higher, and an average number of injuries is in line with recent years mm-hmm. for the most part. So statistically, it doesn't seem like there's an, a, a clear impact on player health, but it was a lot of high profile players. And we know that three of the four teams that made the conference finals went out in the first round, Denver being the only one standing. And they all had injuries along the way. Again, correlation is, is certain. Causation, we don't know. We don't know. Certainly feels that way. It certainly yeah. feels that way. And I think it's fair to look at it and 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 to wonder. We'll never be able to prove it. There's there's there is absolutely no way on earth to scientifically prove that the quick turnaround is what caused LeBron or Anthony Davis or Jamal Murray or anybody else to go down this season for long stretches. Yeah. The so, only thing the only thing I would maybe 
again, I agree with you. There's no way to prove it. I, I there, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that definitively this is, this is, you know, the, the blood is on Adam Silver's hands or anything like that. But, but the, the, the high profile players that we're talking about here, they're the ones that push their bodies harder than anybody else in the league. And, and I Agreed. think they are, they are always right up against what it's safe, right? They are the ones who, who are, you know, LeBron James spends whatever millions of dollars on his body every year. And he's trying to figure out like how, where's the line, how close to that line can I possibly get without putting myself at, at further risk. And I think, I think what we might have seen maybe this year, what we might have seen is some of those guys were pushed over that line. And while the typical role player this year, you know, maybe, maybe uh, the, the, the injuries were like, you're saying the, the injuries in general were in line with what you typically saw. I, I, that's, that's in this, that's not debatable. That is a fact. What I do think might've happened this year though, and why we're seeing so many high profile guys down James Harden at five minutes into the, the series against Milwaukee just pulls up lame, goes right back to the, right back to the uh, locker room and, and is now out for, you know, maybe the rest of the series. And, and what I think is all these guys might've been pushed just a step too far over that line that, that your body shouldn't be pushed to. And, and those guys in particular, but that's, that's why we're seeing a higher rate of superstar injury than we, than we might've seen in other years prior. Do you think that's something that the, the NBA is concerned might have a, a, a longer term impact on the health of the league, you know, not, not getting a potential LeBron Kevin Durant finals. If both those teams were healthy, uh, you would have had two major markets that that aren't playing there. Or do you think do you think it's possible that the league actually learns a little bit from this season and figures out a better way to market Phoenix, market Denver, market Milwaukee, th- those kinds of of uh, markets? Um, I feel like we're 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 veering into Ethan Sherwood Strauss territory here. So um, <laughs> yeah. And he's and he's he's really good on these issues. Um, I have my own view of it, but I, I have not gone as deep as he has in, in looking at some of this stuff. So I'll just say this. Um, I think. Well, so one, we still might get a New York, L.A. finals. In mm-hmm. fact, it's looking, you know, pretty likely on the New York end right now with the Brooklyn. Yeah. That's just absolutely <laughs> yeah. embarrassing. Everybody. The, yeah. Bucks. the Clippers could still win the West and I think are in pretty good position to do so we're recording this obviously before they've opened the second round um so they could still get that and if and if we see clippers nets now the clippers don't have nearly the following of the lakers and the nets don't have nearly the following of the knicks it'll be the little brother finals brought to you by cbs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was gonna say brought to you by eight is enough but now i'm i'm dating myself again with uh ridiculous 80s sitcom references um a lot of little brothers in that in that show. Um, so, uh, brought to you by the Brady Bunch. That's at least a more of a universal. Yeah, um, yeah. but it would be it would be it would be the Little Brother series. Like it's a t- like nobody you know they're the afterthoughts in their own markets and have been forever. And it would be the weirdest, strangest, but kind of coolest thing if they end up meeting up. It would it would be wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, New York and LA are huge markets. So even, even if they're smaller in their own markets, those teams are still going to draw pretty big, I think. 
I think. Um, I, I'm not one who ever thinks, oh, the league wants the Lakers in there every year. I mean, of course, on some level, there's like, like when we talk about the league. So first of all, there are 30 teams with 30 ownership groups. So not all those ownership groups, like certainly the Indiana Pacers and Memphis Grizzlies and, and Charlotte Hornets don't give a crap whether the Lakers make the finals or not. They would rather make the finals themselves. Yep. So when we talk about the league, we, we often use it as shorthand way too broadly. Even when we're talking about the league, as in the people who work at Olympic Tower in Midtown Manhattan, the league office, people on the business and marketing side, yeah, they're probably all sitting there high-fiving each other when it's, you know, Lakers, probably even Lakers heat, but if we're Lakers Knicks or something like that, yeah, sure, they, they'd all love that. But that's, that's just the marketing and business folks. The people who are actually, like, the guys who work on the salary cap and league um, – the you know, basketball ops matters and the people who deal with all the ownership groups and day-to-day operations and who work with the teams on the success within their own markets. And, 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 you know, because there's a lot of that that happens. Um, the people who work on the CBA itself, which for all of the, some, you know, often justifiable criticism does try, it backfires often, but it does try to level the playing field somewhere, give smaller markets or non-glamour markets more of a chance. Mm-hmm. Again, those things often backfire, but they try. The, the, re, there's, the salary cap and luxury tax are not cost savers for the league overall. I know people like to look at it that way. In the aggregate, they're always going to pay 50% to the players, whatever the, the, the final um, revenue is. They do have these mechanisms in place to try to help smaller markets. So there are a bunch of people at the, who work in the league who want to see Milwaukee mm-hmm. and Utah and Denver. Um, and I would say to the extent that there is a... a you know, some philosophical values at play there. And I will say this on my own behalf as somebody who's covered the league for almost a quarter of a century, it's good for the league to have small markets succeed and to Mm -hmm. not have this depressing um, migration every year of superstars from smaller markets to bigger markets. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great if you're a Laker fan. (laughs) It's great if you're a Nets or Clippers fan right now. Yeah. It's not great. You know, look, the Bucks re-signing Giannis, you know, the cynic is going to say that's bad for the league. Giannis would have been better off and the league would have been better off if Giannis were in a bigger market. I say no. What's best for the league is that occasionally, at least occasionally, a Giannis, a Dame Lillard, somebody else stays put. And I'm not saying that they are obligated to. and I'm not married to these old quaint ideas of what loyalty in sports is. I'm just saying for the health of the league, it's good for teams in smaller markets to be able to succeed, to keep their stars, to be able to build around those stars, to be able to attract other stars, which they almost cannot do. Mm-hmm. It's nearly impossible. And so um, I'm going to say no. I, I, it's On some level, it's actually good that the Lakers are out. It would be mm-hmm. good for the Nets and the Clippers to be upset in the second round or the conference finals by one of the smaller market teams because – Bucks Nuggets or like Phoenix is like, I think the 11th biggest market or something, but like, you know, Phoenix Bucks, Phoenix Sixers, whatever. And Philly's a huge market. Mm-hmm. We don't think of it that way. Cause it's not a glamor market, but it's like top three, top four. Um, I think what's best for the league, maybe not every year. We saw what happened to the ratings when it was, you know, uh, Spurs, Cavs, Cavs Spurs <laughs> or Spurs Pistons. Um, <laughs> But occasionally, like 
you need hope in those other markets. You need those fans to believe. You need Mm -hmm. those ownership groups to believe. You need them not to be depressed about, oh, the yet another star left for a bigger market. Uh, So I'm going to go contrarian on this and say, as much as I love watching LeBron play in the finals, and I'm kind of disappointed on a personal level, just as somebody who loves watching the game and loves watching the best players play at the highest level. It's like, I'm bummed that Steph Curry's not in there. I'm bummed that Lillard's out, bummed that LeBron's out. But you know what? The Suns are a really fun team. And Suns Nuggets last night was great. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's good on balance that we're seeing the market or the, the, the postseason field kind of get refreshed and have other markets involved. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I kind of push back on when the ratings come up. And and it's funny how much ratings sounds like rings, like rings culture and ratings culture <laughs> feel very synonymous. But yes, but the the I, I when whenever the ratings come up and that is used as some kind of it it it, it is what signals health in the league, right? How how well it is doing compared to an NFL game or compared to a MLB playoff game. The issue with that is that like that's that's the health of that aspect of the league, not the league itself. And and the NBA, it, it, there can't be health in a professional sports league if 95 percent of the markets out there don't feel like they can win a championship any given year. If if if. if stars were only going to these huge markets and these huge markets were the only teams showing up in the finals every year. Yes. The ratings would be great because you have a whole bunch of people from those markets tuning in, but the health of the league wouldn't be great because all the other teams and all the other fan bases, why would I, why would I buy tickets to go see my team play? Why would I, why would I, you know, show any passion towards a team that I know isn't going to win? Um, yeah. I'm a Vikings fan and I feel that way a lot <laughs> about the Vikings every single year because they hate me. And so like, I, I, I agree with you about, about the, the health of the league versus the, the numbers on the rating side. It, it, there has to be a well, difference. And, and, and there's, there's a clarification or an, and a distinction that should be made there when it's, when it's just the finals, two weeks of basketball, somewhere between four and seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can say that the league benefits a lot from the big markets, the glamour teams being in the finals. But that's two weeks of the calendar and two weeks of, of, the, of right. the, the TV schedule. You got, in a normal year, 82 games that you need people to be tuning into their local teams on the regional networks so that those teams can be profitable and their TV partners locally can be happy. And, you know, if, if – uh, if you're the Bucks and you've got Giannis and then he walks away and Giannis is in the finals the next year with the Lakers. Great. Those two weeks are going to be great. Yep. Bonk bonkers uh, ratings, but guess what just happened to the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. And they're in their, their fan interest and their season ticket sales and their TV ratings locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the what's good for quote unquote, the league is a much more complicated argument than, than I think people realize when they bring that up. I agree. All right. This was a lot of fun. Um, uh, we, we do have I, one. Well, what's up? Can I, before we go, cause I was thinking about this yesterday and, and I'm setting myself up here by going out of my way to insert this discussion when we could have just concluded the podcast without it, but I'm going to make it anyway. Um, because I've caught health. I did catch some help from Laker fans um, over the last couple of years about this thing, uh-huh. but it's true right now. The toughest thing for the Lakers right now in regrouping is they don't have much to work with. Yeah. 
like most teams that, 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 are, that are at this level, capped out all the other usual stuff. But they also don't have any assets to trade. Why? Because as I wrote at the time, Laker fans didn't like it. Pretty sure the organization didn't like it. They won the trade but lost the negotiation for Anthony Davis. Yeah, that's, Meaning that's when you fair. get the best player, you won the trade. Yeah, they lost the negotiation. The, the Lakers had all the, the leverage and Anthony Davis and Clutch had all the leverage in the world. He was a walk year of his contract, only wanted to go to one team. Only wanted to go to one team. The Lakers should have had all the leverage in the world to tell the Pelicans, where, where else are you going to send him? He's not re-signing anywhere else. Yeah. No one else is going to give you much value because well, they know that's... that he's coming to us as soon as his contract's up. Mm-hmm. And yet they sent everything they had except for Kyle Kuzma. And as it turns out, maybe they should have sent Kuzma and kept Brandon Ingram. Well, another another one of my very controversial takes according to laker fans at the time which i said kuzma's not nearly as good as the two guys that they sent away um at this point i'm wondering if josh hart might have actually been the better one to, to hang on to sorry um that's unfair to kuzma i mean I, he had a rough he had a rough uh series really but, bad um, series good season, and, and, bad series and i like kuzma and i think he's a good player but um but the point the, the real point is is this um when we say when we when we re- do this reductive thing where we say you win a championship it justifies everything, there's some truth to that, right? Like ten years from now, if they never win another title, Laker fans and the organization are still going to love the fact that they got Anthony Davis, paired him with LeBron James, won this championship. It put them back on the map, not back on the map. They were on the map, but it reestablished their their preeminence as an organization. It had been a while since the last one, although ask some other teams about how long it's been for them. Um, for the Lakers, that was really important. And so I don't diminish that at all. And if you, and if anybody wants to say that it doesn't matter what it cost, as long as you won the championship, I will accept that in, in the broad outlines, like there is some truth to that. Winning it all is, is great and hard to do. However, they could have won it all and not given up as much. Mm -hmm. They could have still gotten Anthony Davis without giving up every last pick, every last pick swap and Ingram and ball and heart. Um, And that's it. Like I, I, I will stand by that column forever. I, they won the trade. They lost the negotiation and is, and it is, it is more important now because they need some upgrades and they are really strapped. They are hemmed in. There's, there's very little flexibility when you don't have picks to deal, when you don't have young players to deal, when you spent everything for one guy. And so when, so when, so if somebody says, well, you win the championship, therefore it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, for year one, but if you want to repeat, and if you want to have a three or five year window, and if you want to be able to, once LeBron is, is retired, keep, you know, have the young talent to keep building around Anthony Davis, it would have been helpful to have some of those pieces still on uh, in, in the cupboard to deal. So yeah. I just, I, 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 that hit me a lot as you were, when you reached out and say, let's talk about, you know, what happened this season, everything else, like that part is looming there in the background. And I don't think it gets addressed enough. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot to that. I, the only thing that I would say is that we just don't know, like there was no way to know when they made the Anthony Davis trade that you, they were going to have to play in a 24 month period, like 18 months or, or, or 19 months of basketball or some ridiculous thing. Uh, sure. because of the pandemic yeah. and and i think like that impacts the way this season goes as much as just about anything you know and, and especially because it was the lakers that were in the finals last year and had the shortest off season other than the heat and both those teams were, were kind of shells of themselves for stretches of this year so i think that's that's something but your your larger overall point is is 
I, I, that's what I've been saying is that like, yes, it's great that they got Anthony Davis, but they also don't have control over first rounders unless it's draft night for a really long time. Like it, they, they, they have control over their first rounder this year, but that means they have to draft a player and then send that player to another team if they want to uh, make a draft night deal. And, and that means that instead of having all year to be able to upgrade from Dennis Schroeder to maybe a point guard who fits better, you're stuck doing it that night only. That's it. And uh, there, there are, there are, you know, could, could the Lakers have been better if Josh Hart is on the wing instead of Wesley Matthews this year, because they didn't include Hart in a deal, not even Hart or Kuzma. Could you have made the deal without Hart going out there? You know, just stuff like that, like that kind of hypotheticals is, is, is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. It's not, it's not healthy or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, I bring it up not because of what happened this year. I'm not lo- viewing this through the prism of this season. And you're right mm-hmm. to point out that this has been a really weird two-year stretch. Of course, my point at the time that I wrote it, at the time of the trade, and my point still today is it's more about the window that you have and the sustainability yeah. of being a contender. And that to do that, you need all the tools you can possibly have and so you can't just say, ah, eh, throw in another piece. It doesn't matter. We're getting Anthony Davis. It's fine. We'll figure it all out later. No, those pieces matter eventually. Yep. Uh, I, we, we need two minutes here. Uh, Cause this is in, this is a feature of the show. It's stuff that, that, you know, the three people who listen to it, uh, look forward to at the end of every episode, <laughs> but uh, everybody knows me on the internet for the, the, the awful mislayup that Harrison loves to throw out there every single time I've mentioned myself playing basketball. So I ask all my guests now, uh, and it, and it's limited the number of guests that I could bring on here, but I ask them, what is your most embarrassing sports moment? So whether it's playing, whether it was back when you were a fan of a team, whatever, whatever it is, do you have a, a most embarrassing sports moment that you could offer up here? I was thinking about this um, and when you reach out and I, I like, there's nothing that immediately leaps to mind. I mean, I'm sure I've had, you know, uh, a bad question at a press conference a couple of times. I'm you know, been, been a little bit, you know, embarrassed <laughs> showing up by somebody. Um, but those are so minor. Like they, like they're not, I, I, I don't even think about those. Um, I like, I could think of a couple of, of those. So like, the, but those, those barely register. Mm-hmm. Um, my sports career as a, you know, as, as, as a player athlete, whatever uh, should be doing air quotes. Um, <laughs> it's pretty long ago. Um, I mean, I, I guess if nothing else, All right. I would say uh, probably when I blew up my ACL oh, no. um, and meniscus um, playing pickup, with the Nets beat writers and in the 2012, 13 season, I'm working for the New York times. It's my last year with the New York times. And they um, asked me to go off the Knicks to cover the, the Nets for season in Brooklyn, which I thought that'd be fun, refreshing thing to do after eight years on the Knicks. So let's go cover the Nets for a while. It's, you know, Brooklyn has a team for the first time in a, you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So um, we are, it's uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So third week in November and the Nets are in LA to play the Lakers. And, the day before the nets are practicing at the, the old men's gym at UCLA mm-hmm. and they finish practice. They walk off the court. We, we finish our interviews. A uh, couple of beat writers start grabbing balls off the racks and dribbling around. And so this was Tim Bontemps, Ben couch, who was working for, uh, for the nets, I think nets.com. He's working for, for, for the team itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah Kustak, the great Sarah Kustak. 
um, I don't know where Bondi or some of these other folks were, but it was the four of us were left there and they're like, Hey, let's play two on two. And I'm like, Hey, that's a really bad idea. Or I probably didn't say that, but I thought it, um, let me be clear. I'm 15 years older than the people I just mentioned mm -hmm. who decided to play like a good solid 15 years older than, than Sarah, Tim and Ben. Um, also I hadn't played in a very long time. I could also see this being Tim's idea. He's a big dude. <laughs> He, I, get, they, I could totally see Tim's somebody who would looking around. Yeah. He's like, all right, I get, I got these guys. Let's play. And he's going to egg people on. And Tim's going, come on, come on, come on. Just, you know, a few minutes. Come on, let's play. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry, Tim Bontemps for that bad impression. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I kind of let myself get talked into it, um, though I had no business playing basketball. By the way, we're also three hours behind New York time. We're all on deadline. Like I should have been going back to the hotel and writing because it's like, you know, one or two in the afternoon, which means it's like mm -hmm. five here in New York. Like I should have been working, but no, I'm like, all right. So we're playing and, and things are going okay. I'm, I was teammates with Sarah. So it was me and Sarah against Ben and Tim. So I'm matched up against Tim. Tim Bontemps is tall people. He's I don't know if people have, can tell this when he does his TV hits or whatever. Tim Bontemps has got a good five inches on me easily. Um, and he's long and his arms are long. Mm -hmm. So also, I'm not very good. <laughs> so just trying to get off a shot against Tim. Um, I needed Sarah Kustak to set better screens. That really clearly what this comes down to is Sarah just needed to like just freaking pancake bond temps, and then I would have had an open uh route to the to the rack. Um, so I'm trying to get off shots against Tim. And at one point I I I'm driving straight at him and I tried to get clever, step left and try like uh, it was it was like step? some some bad Euro step or something. Oh, no. right? I don't think in my head I was thinking that I was, I was thinking, I was just thinking I'm going to try to drive him this direction and then pop back the other way. Mm -hmm. I popped. All right. Um, <laughs> so, and we've been playing a while too, which fatigue had set in. And as we all know, through the sports science uh, and, and load management discussions, fatigue leads to injury. Mm -hmm. I was, I, and I would, I, I do remember I was spent at that point. I was really freaking tired and we were on game point, I think, and I should have left. Um, but I was caught up in the moment. Didn't want to like let down everybody else. So yeah, uh, planted left, shifted to my right knee buckles. I fall down. And I remember like the first word out of my mouth. And I think they will verify this if they remember was not ow or any variation of pain. It was shit. Cause I knew, <laughs> damn it. I knew I'd fucked up. And as soon as I hit the deck, I was like, God damn it. I, I probably just blew up my knee. I'm on the road. I'm in the middle of the season. I got a story to write. What the hell am I doing? I shouldn't have been out here the first, like immediately. It's just like, you know, every bit of yeah. self-doubt and criticism was the first thing I thought, not Al, just, Oh God damn it. What did I just do? Right. So you should have started um, blaming Tim. Damn it, Tim. Why did we, <laughs> I should have. Um, so, uh, Somebody went and got, I think some trainers were still hanging around, not the Nets trainers. There was like maybe some UCLA folks. Somebody got some ice. Um, they got me up on my feet. My knee didn't really swell that bad. We, and uh, so I got a, I got a, a compression sleeve uh, with an e pad on it from the Nets training staff. Sarah was kind enough to, to drive my car to mm -hmm. the Nets hotel so I could get it looked at and get this, this, um, this sleeve. Uh, I went back, I wrote my, I wrote my off day story. I covered shoot around in the game the next day. 
Um, and eventually I back when I finally got back to New York, like I finished the road trip, I eventually, but I was, I was hobbled. Wow. Um, and my knee was buckling. Like it was, it was hard to walk on it. And eventually mm-hmm. I got back to New York, got the MRI. I'd blown up, uh, blown up my ACL and partially torn my meniscus. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's pro there are like 15 other adjectives before I probably get to embarrassing, but that, you know, for the sake of your podcast and continuing this segment, um, we'll, we'll call it that. I'm, I'm just going to come out and say, you care about your job a lot more than I do. Cause I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Justin. I'm sorry, Michael. If I blow out my ACL or I buy, I blow out my knee entirely. I'm, I'm not sitting down here to, to record a podcast that day. I mean, I didn't really know I'd blown out my ACL. I just knew that something had happened Yeah, something and, happened. and, um, it, 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 you know, it did get really stiff. And the next mm-hmm. day I was, but I was, the next day, I remember a couple people were like, what do you mean your knees hurt? Because I was walking semi-normally. Like it, it, it recovered at mm-hmm. least in that regard very quickly. But the card, you know, the, obviously the ligament, and the cartilage was blown. And so, um, you know, it takes a long time. If you're not an athlete or if you're not a pro athlete, it takes a long time to get on the schedule at the hospital for special surgery in Manhattan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was walking around with, with no ACL for a good six weeks before I finally mm-hmm. got in for surgery. And in the meantime, every so often it would lock up. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Now that was like, it was more painful when it locked up than when I actually blew it out. Um, sure. Yeah. Happened once on a plane happened once as I was walking up to Darren Williams to go ask him something. And I stepped funny on the edge of the, of, of, of one of those raised basketball courts at somebody's mm-hmm. practice facility. Um, and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. Like, cause my, <laughs> like the, my yeah. knee just seized on me. Oh, um, actually quick, quick uh, other story before we go though. Um, okay. I get my knee surgery. I'm out for a couple of weeks. I get one of those ridiculous, like long, you know, metal braces that goes mm-hmm. in your to, to keep your legs straight or to allow it to start bending a little bit as you go. That's the way this thing goes. And so I'd wear that on the outside of my jeans and I went back to work. I started covering games again. The Nets are playing the Bulls one night at Barclays and I'm, I'm, you know, just limping around like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like Frankenstein with this, this crazy brace on my leg. And Taj Gibson's jogging down the hallway pregame, coming back off the court to go to the locker room to get ready for the game of Bulls and Nets. This is pregame. Mm-hmm. And he stops cold and he's like, oh, my God, are you OK? What happened? I didn't know Taj Gibson. I think I'd spoken to him once ever. Like I mm-hmm. maybe recognized me as a face in the crowd, but he didn't know. Like what? a How great a guy is Taj Gibson? What a nice dude. That he just stopped to ask a random NBA reporter who had a knee brace on. Who had clearly because yeah. like those guys recognize it instantly, right? Like they've seen a million of these. Yeah. They know oh, yeah, if know, you're wearing one of those. Brace. Yep. You know that brace. If you're wearing that brace, shit went wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> but I just thought it was incredibly cool. And I told him yeah. like a, a couple of years later, I said, by the way, you probably don't remember this, but I really appreciate the fact you stopped and actually <laughs> asked about my so uh love Taj Gibson, just great dude. Yeah. Well, and, and he had a great playoff run this year. Well, f- for, he had the one great playoff win. It was yeah. He had but, well, he had, he had a, you know he had a great season for for the Knicks. I mean, he was Absolutely. he was indispensable for them. Yep. So all right. Well, thank you very much for the story. Uh, it, I, I got I got to figure out a better a better way to frame this thing because Aaron Larsoul on the last episode talked about when he was a kid and he blew out his knee almost twice in the same game. Uh, and it's just like. It's one thing when it, you're an adult and you're making your own decision, but when he's talking about himself as a kid and you're like, man, this is more just sad. I got to figure out. A way. <laughs> you know, now that 
now that I think about it, we won't we won't go into it because it'll take long. But um, uh, actually, if I really think about it, my most embarrassing sports injury was that I broke my jaw in a softball game of all things. Oh man. Maybe we'll do yeah, that next time. Softball. Yeah, we'll do that next time. We'll do well. That that just means you just <laughs> promise the next time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here while I'm there. Ahead. We go. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Howard, for hopping on. Uh, you, given given how busy I'm sure you are, make sure you guys are checking out his stuff at Sports Illustrated, and then on the Crossover Pod uh, with Chris Mannix. It's been great. I, I enjoyed. I, I a little bit of Schadenfreude listening to Chris Mannix talk about Danny Ainge stepping down just a little bit, you know, just, a, just some, some, <laughs> some sports teams rivals there. Uh, we will, I, I can't wait to talk to you again soon and, and discuss that broken jaw. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way uh, to get to it next time. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys very much for, uh, for tuning in. Make sure you guys are checking out all the stuff across the feed. We'll talk to you guys next week.